Well, one thing that we know uh, is true, uh, kind of no matter where you live and at what point in history you live, that, that there are some good people in the world, right? I mean, you, you know that there's different experiences that we have that point out to us the truth, the fact that there are some good people in the world. Maybe it's little things. Like a couple weeks ago, Kirsten and I went out on a date, found out after the time when we were supposed to pay our bill that the people sitting behind us had already taken care of it for us. They were gone by that point. We couldn't even tell them thank you. Pretty cool, right? There's good people in the world that do that kind of thing. Um, or maybe I, I read this story this week. It's actually an older story, but I just read it this week. Of uh, you know, I think there's a picture up there. Um, so there's this, uh, there's this guy, uh, Chief Master Sergeant John Gebhardt's his name. Okay? And so he was on tour, uh, you know, left his family uh, and was serving in Iraq. And while he was serving there, he was in one of the military hospitals there where they were treating a young girl whose whole family had just been executed. She had also been shot uh, in the head and was wounded but had survived. And she was being treated in this military hospital. And this poor girl um, who had just lost her whole family and was experiencing lots of pain would just cry and moan and nobody in the hospital could comfort her except for Chief Master Sergeant John Gebhardt. And so this is a picture taken of a time in which I think they said four nights um, that, that he just sat there, sat there with her holding her. And uh, so, so you got this man who's willing to, to, to go away from his own family and serve this newly orphaned little girl. You hear stories like that, you think, man, there are some good people in this world, right? But then we get to a spot like we're at in Romans chapter 3 today, where, where Paul has already claimed that all Gentiles, that is all non-Jewish people, have failed to honor God and are under God's wrath because of their sin. And then he goes on to claim that even religious Jewish people are also people that have dishonored God and are storing up for themselves the wrath of God. And we would really like to say, really, Paul, you mean everybody's unrighteous? Everybody deserves God's wrath? Aren't there some exceptions? What about good people that pay for other people's meals and that, that hold little orphan girls and serve our country, right? Like, what about people like that? What about, I mean, I know a lot of good, 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 good people. So we wonder, aren't there some exceptions to that? Isn't, is really, is it everyone that's unrighteous? Or at least when we get bad news, we, we kind of hope that it's not as bad as it initially sounds. What if it's actually worse, though, than we first thought? What if we're worse than we'd like to think we are? What if we're not the exception? And Paul's just about, I've told you guys this, Paul's just about to get to some really, really good news in the book of Romans. That's what the whole book is about. But before he gets there, and this is the last part, you've been, we've been waiting for him to kind of sum this up and move on to the really good news. And that's what's going to happen this week. He's summing up everything that he's covered really since chapter 1, verse 18. And now this week we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. Not nearly as confusing as the passage was last week. Paul is trying to make it clear. Before he shares the good news, he's trying to make it really clear. Listen, the good news is going to be meaningless to you if you don't understand how bad the bad news really is. And so he's got one more chance, he feels here. I'm going to get this across. Okay? So 
Romans chapter 3, 9 through 20 is what we're looking at today. You can turn there in your Bible if you have your Bible with you. If you like to follow along in the Bible, we put the words up there, but it's kind of nice to have a Bible right in front of you. If you don't bring one with you, forget we have some on the, the Welcome Center counter back there. You can always grab one when you come in, but we'll put it on the screen as well. Romans 3, 9 through 20. And every time that we read God's Word, we stand. And so if you're able to do that, would you do that? We honor uh, the Word of God as the Word of God. And so one of the things we do is we just stand. Uh, Not that we have to. We just do it to to help us remember that this is God's Word. I'm going to pray first, and then we're just going to read out of Romans chapter 3. So, Heavenly Father, I thank You that You have spoken to us. If we were left to our own we would easily convince ourselves that we're actually pretty good people. We would easily convince ourselves that our sin is not really as bad as it is. But God, I thank you that you have spoken a different word in your word. That, that you don't just share the good news, but, but you make sure that we understand the bad news before the good news is even shared. And so God, I pray that you would be pleased by your spirit this morning to do that work that you would help us to come away from here having better understood your word, having the better understood what it is that you're saying. Help me to communicate it clearly and help hearts to be soft and ready to absorb it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. This is God's word. Verse 9, it says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You can be seated. All right, you ready? You ready? I, I'm ready. I, I started because I'm going to be gone uh, for a couple days this week. Uh, and so I usually kind of start on Tuesday looking at the passage for the next week to study it a little more. Um, but I had to start a little bit yesterday. And I am so excited to get to next week and preach on Romans 3, 21 through 26. But before we get there, we got to look at Romans 3, 9 through 20. And I think part of the reason, honestly, that I'm so excited to get to verses 21 through 26, which some people call the most important paragraph ever written, um, 
part of the reason that I'm so excited to get there is because we've, we, we've been here. We've been in Romans 1.18 through the end of chapter 1 where the message was that unrighteous Gentiles, non-religious people, maybe they're, they're some false religion or something, not, unrighteous Gentiles are under the wrath of God for their sin. And then, lest the Jewish religious people start to think that we've got it all together, Paul says, actually, you're judging them, but you're doing the very same thing that they're doing, and you're storing up wrath for yourself because you too are a sinner, right? And so all this bad news has, then last week we looked at chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, which were kind of a series of questions and answers where Paul was trying to answer some objections that the people might have. Because one of the main questions last week, you remember, was this question, because Paul had been pointing out, listen, you're not made right with God because you're religious, because you've been circumcised and you have the law and all that stuff that your religion tells you to do. Right? You're not made right with God because you've done all of it. And so their question, he was assuming, was, well, so is it pointless? Was all my religious background, is that pointless? And Paul's answer to them is, well, let's just read it. Verse 1, it said, this is, this is last week, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what's the value of circumcision? They're like, well, what's the point? Do I have any advantage? And Paul says, oh, yes, much in every way. Now, you may have heard when I read the passage this week that the question in verse 9 sounds really similar, but the answer is very different. Did you catch that? Because the question in verse 9 is, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Before the question was, is there any advantage to being a Jew? And the answer is yes. Now the question is, in verse 9, are we Jews any better off? So this is the first point. We, we always put the outline in the bulletin, okay? And uh, first point is this. Aren't some people good? Answer, every person is unrighteous. We're going to get to that. But here's the question. The question is, aren't, aren't Jews better off? Aren't those that have, have the law and try to keep God's law, very religious, very good people, aren't they better off than other people? Right? Like when it comes to their standing before God, Aren't the, the good religious people in a better spot than all the unreligious bad people? That's the question, right? And this time Paul's answer is, no. Remember, it's a little different question, right? His answer here is, no, not at all. So certainly there was advantage to their religion because they, they, they had the word of God. That's what he told them in verses 1 and 2. Yeah, there's advantage to your religion. You have the word of God. But he's saying, but listen, that doesn't make you right with God. So his answer here is, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. He's just summarizing what he's trying to, be, trying to make clear ever since chapter 1, verse 18. The problem is not somebody else's problem. The problem is our problem. No matter what group you affiliate yourself with, Jew or Gentile, Jew or Greek, whatever, if you're a human, you have a problem. We are all alike under sin. Okay, so he's trying to, trying to make it pretty clear. And now, I, what Paul's going to do here 
Jesus is going to kind of start rapid fire. You maybe notice in your Bible, if you've got your Bible open, you notice how verses like the end of verse 10 all the way through verse 18 are probably put in in like the center, right? So, so everything else is kind of like over to the left. And here this is in the center. The reason that that's done is because what he's doing here is he's quoting from the Old Testament. So when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, they'll, they'll bring that to the center, right? And so, so he's quoting their Bible. He's talking probably most specifically to the Jewish people who are still trying to get their minds around. Because they didn't have a hard time getting their minds around the fact that God's wrath was, was aimed at the Gentiles for their sin. They're like, yeah, of course, they're bad. Uh, but then to, to try and get their minds around the fact that that they also deserve God's wrath. That was a hard thing for them to get their minds around. So Paul, in pointing out that all alike are under sin, he's going to start using a lot of Old Testament passages. He's just going to kind of rapid fire, spit them out one after the other. Paul knows his Bible really well. Most of them come from the book of Psalms. He's just going to go. And so we're going to look at the first ones from verses 10 through 12 first. Okay, if you look at verses 10 through 12, let's just read that again. And, and I'm going to, yeah, let's just read it. As it's written, none is righteous. And again, remember, our minds are like, yeah, but what about some exceptions? No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. When you read that, it's not really a lot of room for wiggle room, is there? I mean, there's not a lot of, like, it's like, well, yeah, but, yeah, but, well, I think he's trying to make pretty clear by these Old Testament passages that he's putting together that, uh, no, not one. Now, quick note, um, you might read that part or hear that part that I just read, together they have become worthless. You're like, what is that about? Like, God is saying that the people that he's made have become worthless? And, and, and certainly we don't read that in the rest of Scripture, right? That we as people made in the image of God are not worthless. He's talking about their behavior, their, their, their moral behavior before God. You take all that with you and you stand before God on that, it's, it's worthless, right? That's kind of what he's getting at there. But did you hear, I mean, did you hear those strong words? Like, no, not even one. No, no one, no one, all, no one, no one. I mean, you, you get it. Like, he, oh, I can't even count, like six, seven times in that, those three verses, he's using those words. No one, no one, not even one, no, not all, you know. You get it? So he's trying to make a point right there that who's included in those who are under sin? I mean, some people talk about, like, inclusivity. Like, everybody likes to be inclusive right now. Paul's very inclusive, right? He's like, I'll include everybody. Everybody alike is under sin, right? He's a very inclusive kind of guy because he's just trying to communicate what God has already communicated, that all of us alike are under sin. You may ask, well, hold on, though. Aren't some people better than others? I mean, because, th- like, that's, that's normal, that's natural. We've noticed that some people, so, like, when we read this, like, no one does good, not even one, all are unrighteous. We're like, yeah, but, and we can think of all these people, and probably, if we're honest, a lot of us are thinking of ourselves. Yeah, but me. I mean, but look at me. I'm, I mean, compared to a lot of other people, I'm doing pretty good. 
That's, our, that's the normal, natural human thing that we do. We compare ourselves to other people, and so we set the standards, and then we reach them. And we think we're doing pretty good, and we judge everybody else who doesn't reach our standards, right? But the, way, the illustration that I've heard before that's helpful for me in understanding this is, is this. Um, it's an illustration about swimming, which I can do, but not for a long time, okay? So imagine that there are three people who live in Cuba and are trying to make it to the United States, and their preferred or their only method of getting here is swimming, okay? So from Havana, Cuba to Miami, Florida is 235 miles, okay? That's a pretty long swim. Uh, that, that really, so, so you might have one guy who jumps in the water, and he can make it like a half mile, which is really pretty long. And, and maybe another guy jumps in, and, and he can make it a, a mile even, right? And then maybe you have somebody who's been training. Like they knew that they were going to do this. They've been training. Maybe they make it at the most 10, 12 miles. But in the end, nobody can make the swim from Havana, Cuba to Miami, Florida, 235 miles, that standard, that goal, that destination is just unreachable. So are some people doing better than others? Well, yeah, one guy made it maybe 10 miles, but in the end, they all drowned because they couldn't make it to land, right? And so so are some people better than other people? Well, certainly. Some people more evil than other people? Well, certainly. But does anyone live up to God's righteous standard? The answer is no, we don't. That's what Paul's trying to get across to you. No one. I want you to be sure that you get that. No one. Now, Paul's going to continue to make his point. No one can reach God on their own. Let's look, though, at the second point, and that is this. We might ask, well, it's not that bad, is it? I mean, okay, so everybody's got some sin, But we like to look at ourselves and some other people that we love and say, but our sin isn't really that bad, right? Like, okay, I'll go with you on that, Paul, that everybody's a sinner, including me, but my sin's just really not that bad, right? Well, he's got something to say about that, too. Again, quoting a bunch of Old Testament passages, says, their throat is an open grave. They notice all, like he's talking about how, how this like affects the whole body, right? So their throat is an open grave. Their tongues are used to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Okay, you kind of get it? He, he's pointing out, listen, God gave us a throat. But out of that, it's like an open grave and the smell of death comes from it sometimes. God gave us tongues and we use them to deceive. Guilty. God gave us lips and just under them is deadly venom that sometimes spews out and stings others. You know it, right? God gave us a mouth, and it's full of curses and bitterness instead of praises for Him. Sometimes both. God gave us feet, and we use them to shed blood and walk on paths of ruin and misery, not knowing the way of peace. And God gives us eyes, and there is no fear of God in them. So let me use some, it sounds like bad grammar, but it's not. Ready? All of us are unrighteous. 
and all of us is unrighteous. Okay? First point Paul was getting at in verses 10 to 12 is that all of us are unrighteous. These next verses, 13 through 18, that all of us, all of us is unrighteous. Does that make sense? That all of us are unrighteous and all of us is unrighteous. And that, I mean, man, if you're thinking of things that you want to communicate to other people, I just talked about how weary people are. I just talked about, like, we're coming in here today and people are dealing with tough stuff in their life. Like, well, man, that's why people listen to Joel Osteen. Because he just smiles at him and he won't ever read verses like this. Right? That, that there's, there's people that smile a lot on TV and they call themselves preachers of the Word of God, but they skip all sorts of parts because life is tough and, and I think maybe people just need to hear lots of happy, positive stuff. But I, I don't think that's what people need to hear because that's not what God says people need to hear. God didn't take out Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20. God put that in there. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words. And there is this temptation that we have to to either ignore stuff like this or try and soften it in some way. Because we don't really want to think about it a whole lot. But what happens? What happens if we don't tell people this? If we don't tell people this, then they're going to listen to the message that they hear in the world that I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and lots of people like me, and I think God probably does too. Right? That that if we don't tell people this message, they're going to hang their hope for eternal life on something that will never give them eternal life, and that is their own goodness. If we don't tell people this, they're going to be surprised on the day of judgment when God lets them know that all your good deeds did not measure up to my righteous standard. If we don't tell people this, who's going to tell them this? If we don't tell people this, the good news of the gospel doesn't sound like very good news. So is it okay to tell people this? Yeah, it's not just okay. In fact, we must tell people this. Kirsten and I lived for three years in the Twin Cities area. And uh, it was from 2002 to 2005 that we lived there. And Kirsten, we lived up in the northern suburbs, and Kirsten worked in south Minneapolis. And so there's a lot of traveling and commuting that she had to do every day. And many times, uh, many times during our time there, we crossed this bridge on Interstate 35 that went uh, across the Mississippi River. And in fact, a lot of people did. It was the second most used bridge in the state with 140,000 traveling on it daily. Okay? But in August, August 1st, I think it was, 2007, that bridge collapsed, killing 13 people and injuring 145. Okay, you maybe remember hearing about that from the news. There was no warning that this was going to happen, and as a result, people died. People who, listen, people who are expecting to pass from this earth through death into eternal life in heaven, across the, good, the bridge of their own good works and religion, 
need to hear the news that that bridge is going to come crashing down. That that bridge will not get them from the life that they're living now to the life that we all desire, life forever with Jesus. That, that the bridge going across there cannot be the bridge of their own good deeds and righteousness. That bridge is going to crumble. And how good would it have been if people who maybe would have had some information about that I-35 bridge could have communicated that information to other people so that something could have been done, how irresponsible if they had that information for them not to share it. And the same is true for us. If we know people, if you are a person, that's why I have to share this today, because if you're a person that expects that when you get done with this earthly life, that the bridge that is going to get you into eternal life forever with Jesus is the bridge of your own good deeds and righteousness before God, I need to let you know that that bridge is going to come crumbling down. It will not support you and it will not get to get you to where you think it will get you. This is a message that we must share. We don't want to be the kind of people that, well, that might be scary, or that might turn somebody away, or that might, we need to tell people. Even thinking about, there's a lot of parents in our church. Parents, your kids might be pretty good, maybe even a lot better than a lot of other kids. And you you probably think those thoughts in your head sometimes. You watch some other kids like, well, my kids aren't like that. Um, One of the chief roles that we have as parents certainly is to let our kids know of the great worth and value that they have as people made in the image of God. And at the same time, one of the chief roles that we have as parents is to help our kids understand that they're sinful. Help them to see that so that we can point them to the good news that's found only in Jesus. Okay, so all people are full of unrighteousness and all of us. It, 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 it is part of us to the core. That's how bad the bad news is. But then again, some people who have grown up religious might wonder, well, what's the purpose of God's law then? If following that doesn't make me right with God and I've done everything I knew how to do and yet you're calling me unrighteous, you're saying that that bridge is not going to get me to where I want to go, well then, what's the purpose of God's law? That's what we look at in the last two verses. The last two verses say this. Verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Remember, it probably wasn't a big struggle for religious Jewish people to think, yes, these other people deserve God's wrath and judgment But it was hard for them to understand that they also deserved it. They had the law. They sought to follow it. They assumed that they'd be saved. But the Jews, those who are under the law, it says their mouths are stopped and the whole world is held accountable to God. It's almost as if rather than them holding up the law and being able to say before God, look, here's your law and I did it. Look at me. It's like the law is held up in front of them. And it reveals to them, it makes them stop. They're, they're pleading for their own, like their mouths are stopped. And they recognize that them, along with everybody else, is held accountable before God 
for all the ways in which they've broken God's law. And then verse 20, the last verse here says this, For by works of the law, this is important, this is kind of summing up everything that we've just looked at in the last couple chapters. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Now justified, two words, what justified means declared righteous. Okay, so our problem, we're unrighteous. Paul's laid that out. It's pretty clear we're all unrighteous. If God only accepts the righteous, how do we be made righteous? How are we declared righteous? Well, it says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified or declared righteous in his sight. So what's the purpose of the law then? Well, here's what it says. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law wasn't given so that people could seek hard their whole lives to follow it and then say to God, see, I did it. Let me in now. I think I did pretty good. No. The law was given so that we would have a knowledge of sin. That we would know what sin is because we have the law. All right. Let, let me try and illustrate this really quick before before I wrap it up. Okay. Illustrate this with, okay, so that's a picture of a 1988 Ford Taurus. Okay. That's the car that I used to drive. Um, I, I'm, I'm really a pretty good driver. Um, and uh, for many years I'd gone without a ticket, without being involved in any accident, really a pretty good driver. But when we lived up in the Twin Cities, one day I dropped Kirsten off at work down in South Minneapolis and decided to take a different route home. So rather than going north, I went, I went over first uh, into St. Paul, crossed the bridge over the river, and so it was kind of going into this area that I'd never been in before, and I'm just kind of, you know, not from the city, and just wanted to check stuff out. So I'm driving my 1988 Ford Taurus, and I'm just looking around at all the stuff around me, not noticing that all the traffic in front of me had stopped. Well, I stopped as well, but not by putting my foot on the brake and applying pressure, but by running into the car in front of me. That's the way that I stopped, right? And so... Both me and the driver of that car pull over to the side of the road, leaving my bumper in the road. And as we got out of the car, a police officer who was watching the entire thing happening greeted us by saying to me with a little bit of sarcasm, that was brilliant. Um, and he was right. It was like, it was not. Um, I was just looking around. And so he helped me get my bumper off of the road so that cars could continue to go by. And then he wrote me a citation for inattentive driving, which was totally fitting, right? I mean, I couldn't look at Minnesota state statute says this, quote, every driver is responsible for becoming and remaining aware of the actual and potential hazards then existing on the highway and must use due care in operating their vehicle. I broke the law. I was looking at buildings and I ran into somebody. That's a potential hazard in the road. Like other cars, you shouldn't run into them. When they're following all the traffic laws and, and you're looking at buildings, right? And so, so I couldn't, no matter how good my past driving record was, the fact that I had never gotten a ticket before, I'd never been in an accident before, it doesn't matter when the law is held up in front of me, it's very clear and my mouth is stopped. I'm guilty. That was not brilliant, Right? I was guilty of inattentive driving. And so I, yeah, 
My mouth was stopped. I was held accountable for my actions. I had to pay for that fine in addition to paying for the repairs to my vehicle. Right? I couldn't hold up the law and say, look, I've done it all right. The law clearly showed that I was guilty. That's what we see in verses 19 to 20. There's some really good religious people, really good people. And, and they can't come before God and hold up their good record and say, see, look, all these times I've gotten behind the wheel and I've done it all right. When in reality, they're lawbreakers just like everyone else. You can't hold up the law to justify yourself despite all of their best efforts. They had broken the law of God and they're unrighteous sinners who cannot save themselves. I was trying to make it really clear. For by works of the law, no one can be justified in God's sight. No one can hold up the law, God's law, before Him and say, look at me, look at how I did, and expect that God's going to say, you are righteous. God's law rather shows us that we are unrighteous. All right, so Paul has wrapped up this part of his argument. It's taken a while. He's laid out the bad news that all people, Jew or Gentile, Religious or non-religious are under the wrath of God because of their sin and unrighteousness. We don't honor God as God. We fail to honor God as God. We fail to live up to His righteous standard. We're unrighteous and He's righteous. And so we're going to get to the good news next week. But I always have to, especially in a passage like this, like I don't know, speaking of accidents, I don't know what could happen. All the stuff that's going on with people's health and all this stuff, I don't know what could happen. So I can't just leave you with the bad news and say, well, your good works are not good enough. Go home, right? I need to tell you, the good, like, I, mean, I can't just tell you, hey, the bridge is going to collapse that you're standing on. All right, let's sing a song, right? Like, we can't do that, right? So, so let me show you a bridge that works. Let's go ahead and put that up there, okay? So, so maybe you've seen this diagram before. Really helpful, I think. If you're looking at the diagram, what you see is on one side there is sinful or unrighteous humans. That's us, all of us, right? Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, how religious you are. That's us. And what's going to happen to us is there's going to be death, right? Nobody gets out of that. At some point, maybe soon, maybe long from now, death is going to come. What we would love is to have eternal life. That's the hope that a lot of people hold on to. I want to experience eternal life, that this world here is not it. And I don't want to experience eternal punishment. That's what would be in that cavern right there. So there has to be some bridge that gets me across from this life over to eternal life in the presence of a holy God. I've already laid out, Paul's made it pretty clear that the bridge cannot be the bridge of your own religious activity and good deeds. It's not going to get you there. It's going to collapse. The only bridge that can get you there is the cross of Christ. As it says later in the book of Romans in 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus died so that sinful people can be reconciled to God because by faith we're justified or we're declared righteous by faith in Jesus. That's our only hope. And so that's the good news that, that's going to come, but it's going to be, we're going to spend a lot more time digging into it in a lot more detail in the weeks to come. 
But next week, go ahead and read it on your own if you want this week. Read verses 21 through 26, which we're going to look at this coming week. But there's so much good news that is to come. And we're going to sing about that to close. We're going to sing about the good news. Now, if you're in a spot where, where, where you're hearing that bad news, and you might have thought previously that that bad news was just for other people. You might have been walking on this bridge thinking, well, my own, oh, I've done this, I've been this, I've, I've gone through this religious rite, and therefore it is my right to be forever with Him. You might need to be reminded on this day, or maybe today was the first time that you heard that that's not going to get you there and your only hope is in Christ. Today then, confess that to Him. Confess that you've been trusting in yourself and that you know that what Paul is saying is true. You're not righteous. You don't deserve to stand before God and be declared righteous, but by faith in Jesus you can have that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing a closing song. Before we do that, I want to just read, because sometimes you get to singing and it's hard to process everything that you're singing. But the last verse of the song that we're going to sing, I want you to pay attention to every verse. So much richness, so much good news in these verses that we're going to sing. But listen to the words of the last verse before we sing it. Here's the words. I bow before the cross of Christ and marvel at this love divine. God's perfect son was perfect, right? God's perfect son was sacrificed to make me righteous in God's eyes. This river's depths I cannot know. You've heard this before? Great, you need to hear it again and rejoice. This river's depths I cannot know, but I can glory in its flood. Just come and hit me again with that good news of how I'm unrighteous, but Jesus can make me righteous through faith in Him. But I can glory in its flood. The Lord Most High has bowed down low and poured on me His glorious love. That's good news. It's good news worthy of singing about. So I'm going to pray while the worship team comes up, and then we're going to sing about it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that You have provided for us what we could not earn on our own. The fact that the, the bad news is worse than we thought it was, but the good news is better than we can even imagine. I thank you for that. We're desperately in need of good news. There's lots of bad news, but the worst news, worse than any of the other news that we may hear, whether it's about what's happening globally or nationally or even with our own health, the worst news is that we are unrighteous sinners who cannot stand before a holy and righteous God. But the good news is so good, better than any other good news that we could hear about our health, about our nation, about the world that we live in. And that is the good news that Jesus died for us. That we can be made righteous in God's eyes through faith in Christ. That it's not dependent on our own good works and our own religious upbringing, but it's dependent only on who Jesus is and what He's done and our faith in Him. God, would you well up in us that kind of faith, that, that, that the river's depths of which we cannot know, that we would glory in its flood. 
that whatever comes at us this week, that we would be encouraged by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and help us to be the people that, that, that share that with other people, that, that do not shy away from sharing the bad news, that the good news might be heard as that much better. Thank you for all that has been done for us by Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll sing that closing song together.